Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No On the night of January 23rd, 1999, two and a half year old Tika Lewis disappeared from a bowling alley in Tacoma, Washington. Tika, a multiracial female, was three feet tall and 35 pounds at the time of her disappearance. Early in the morning of February 14, 2000, 9-year-old Asia Degree disappeared from her home in Shelby, North Carolina. Asia, a black female, was 4 foot 6 inches at the time of her disappearance and weighed about 60 pounds. 8-year-old Relisha Rudd has been missing since March of 2014 in Washington, D.C. Relisha is an African-American female who was living in a homeless shelter with her family at the time. She was 4 feet tall and 80 pounds at the time of her disappearance. In early 2017, rumors on social media started circulating that 14 black and Latino girls had disappeared from the D.C. area in 24 hours. Why wasn't the media covering the story? This is the case of the underreported missing, and we are Yours in Murder. Hello and welcome to Yours in Murder. I'm your host, Rebecca, and with me is my sister, Rachel, who wants to grow up to be a pirate. Drink up, me hearties, yo-ho! Anyway, this week on Yours in Murder, I'm not drinking because our case this week is darker. And when we've covered H.H. Holmes and we say that something's darker, uh, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Right, enough with the pirate puns. (laughs) Today we're going to be discussing missing persons cases, specifically ones that don't get a whole lot of media attention. Yes, these are cases that often suffer from the media effect known as missing white woman syndrome, because those are the cases we know about, the beautiful Natalie Holloways, the Lacey Petersons, the John Bonet Ramseys, blonde haired, blue eyes, white middle America. These, unfortunately, are not covered as much because these are the cases of missing black girls. And just to throw it out there at the beginning, um, we try to stay non-political. These cases receive less media coverage. That's a fact. We're not saying it's an overtly racist attempt to cover things up. 
but they're things that we feel need to be brought into the spotlight. And at the same time, we're not trying to discriminate and not cover things of other minorities or um, of male missing children. These are just the cases that jumped out at us. Yes. And as a media person, I can say, you know, most of the media in this country is white and we identify with stories that are like us. So that is one of the explanations given. It's not overt racism sometimes it just slips through the cracks but we need to bring these stories to light so we can bring these girls home so i believe we're going to be starting chronologically we're going to be covering several cases today and um while i'd love to go more in depth in each case there's not a whole lot of information out there so the episode would be very short which is why we're going to cover a couple and before we get started I'm going to let you know if you haven't figured this out we're talking about missing children the theories will include crimes against children if this is something that really bothers you please be warned we feel these stories need to be told but if it's going to upset you don't do that to yourself this podcast is also likely to contain stronger language than usual. I might drop a couple F-bombs because, come on guys, these are kids. They are, and unfortunately, to complete the trifecta of trigger warnings, we may also talk about theories that involve sexual abuse. These are important stories, these are stories that need to be told, but these are not stories worth putting yourself in mental anguish for. So, know thyself and know what we're going to talk about today. And that being said, on with the first case. Tika Lewis disappeared from a bowling alley arcade in Tacoma, Washington, around 10 p.m. one night in 1999. Her mother was only about 10 feet from her when she disappeared. She was both watching Tika and watching her family bowl. I'm assuming she couldn't get a babysitter and just had to bring the kids out with her family, but her brothers wanted her to come. And Tika Lewis was playing an arcade game. Like we said, not far from her mom at all. She had a small clear plastic purse with a few starbursts in it to keep the kid happy. And her mom seemed to be alternating between checking on Tika and watching the game. So pretty standard, I mean, for 90s parents. Tika was uh, playing on a race car game, and she wasn't really old enough to actually play the game. She was just enjoying, you know, the steering wheel and everything. So her mom her mom figured she was okay. The bowling alley was pretty hopping, though, that night. There was 32 lanes. It was pretty busy. It was league night. And um, there was also a bar in the bowling alley, like you might see places. So around 10.15, when Tika's playing on the race car game, one of Teresa Lewis, her mother's brothers called out to her to watch him take his turn bowling so her mother turns around for what she says was maybe a minute you know in mom time it might have been 30 seconds it might have been two to three minutes but it wasn't but really how how long does it take to bowl less than a minute depends on how good you are i've seen you bowl okay but yes it takes longer for me because i generally aim for the gutter but Generally, to get the ball down the lane, it takes less than a minute. It does. So she turns back, and she can't see her daughter. So, I mean, she's a mom. She immediately goes to DEFCON 1 and tells her brothers, hey, I can't see Tika. Come help me. So they, you know, drop everything and go look in the arcade. She's little. They figure she might have gotten stuck behind, you know, beside one of the games. You know how arcades are set up. And you know how children wander. They do. They seem to find the smallest spaces they're 
cats and kids are the same, I swear. But basically, they look there, they look around at the lanes beside them to see if maybe Tika wandered off to make friends. And they real quick, some one of uh, the brothers runs and checks the bathrooms to see, you know, maybe she might have been potty training at this point. Maybe she wandered off because she needed to use the bathroom and didn't want to tell her mom. But they can't find Tika anywhere. So they immediately inform security, who's at the front desk, because Tacoma at the time, I've heard, was not the best place to be. So there was an off-duty police officer as security at the bowling alley that night. And this security guard, for once, and we, Rebecca and I support the police fully. Sometimes they mess up. This was not one of those times. This cop's perfect in this case. They, the security guard immediately gets on the intercom and tells everybody, because this was the 90s, this still happened. Hey guys, we got a missing kid. We need everybody to work together. So everybody stops bowling. They kind of have a small group, goes out to check the parking lot because the arcade game she was playing was about six feet from the side door. Others check the bathroom. They check the lanes. They check if she could have gotten down in the back. They check everywhere. After about 15 minutes, this would be about... 1030, 1040-ish, they realize they cannot find Tika, so the off-duty police officer working security calls it down to the main station. When they hear that there's a missing two-year-old in the Tacoma area that they were in, the police station hits full force. Everything they have comes to that bowling alley and arrives about 1045, but there's no camera footage. The security cameras at the bowling alley weren't working. You know how it is. Kind of Bowling alleys operate on razor-thin margins, apparently. Well, not just that. The fact that the cameras are there is enough to deter. Yeah, the they block off the area even, which is very good, because a lot of times they don't do this, and they look around, but they never find Tika. There's never any other clue. And to this day, we still have not found Tika Lewis or any clue to her disappearances. It's generally thought that Tika Lewis either wandered out the door on her own or she was taken by somebody and not taken in the sense that they picked her up and she was kicking and screaming. Remember, her mom is only about 10 feet away, but somebody possibly had something that that little girl wanted and was able to convince her to quietly go with them out the door. Basically, there's some suspects. Um, Somebody saw a dark Pontiac sedan, about 10 years old at the time, so it would have been late 80s, early 90s, was seen leaving the bowling alley quickly right before the police were called. This could be something. This could be nothing. You know, teenagers at a bowling alley. I believe it was a Saturday night, so teenagers are stupid and drive fast. But that later would come into play because there was somebody suspected. Later, there was a few incidents around the bowling alley with a strange man who was described as a white man with brown hair who drove a dark blue Pontiac. He was seen trying to lure a boy from the arcade, and there was another boy who said that the man had tried to molest him at the same bowling alley, less, I believe, than two weeks after Tika disappeared from that bowling alley. And while we're talking about descriptions, I think it's a good time that we get a a description of Tika Lewis. Obviously, this happened a very long time ago. Uh, She disappeared on January 23rd, 1999. 
But how she looked at the time, she was a child of mixed descent. She was African-American, Caucasian, and Native American. She had a natural reddish tint to her hair. Uh, She had facial dimples, and she had skin discoloration on her face due to eczema. She had pierced ears and was taking asthma medication. She was also carrying a clear purse with a fish design um, that she had starbursts in. She was a really cute kid. If you see, we posted a picture of all of the girls that we're talking about today on our Facebook page. Most of them, I believe, also have age progressions for the older cases, but Tika was a cute kid. And if we find age progression, we'll go ahead and post that as well. And do we have any other developments on this case? There was a connection with a case later. Originally, it would have been several years later. I'm sorry, I did not write down the date. There was a little girl found dead who would have been five or six at the time. So it would have been two or three years after Tika disappeared. So she was the right age. She was dark skinned. And they thought for a while she could be Tika Lewis, but it didn't. The DNA did not match. So because the area had had other unidentified persons to be called Jane Doe, they called her because she was so little. She was Precious Doe. And it turned out later that Precious Doe had a mother who was not a very good mother. And her mother had a boyfriend who was what we affectionately here call a piece of shit, who drop kicked her and killed her. and nobody came forward until this little girl's grandfather like a year and a half later said she was missing because the media isn't looking for missing black girls what a bunch of shit wads all right but like i said we're going to be posting the age progression photo tika lewis would now be 21 years old um and if you have any information you can call 911 or 1-800-843-5678 or contact the Tacoma Police Department in Washington. And again, with any of these cases, if you know something, please come please. forward. That Tika Lewis's mother wants to believe that she knows she has an idea who took her daughter, but she won't say anything about it. So I think more than anything, she's just hoping She hopes that somebody took her little girl because they could not have one of their own and they're taking care of her. While other people have proposed, you know, Tika could have wandered away. I guess we should also say, because I'm backtracking, we we know always you look at the family first, but Tika's mother and her brothers were all there that night. There was no problems with anyone in the family. And Tika's father, although I'm not sure if he and Teresa were still together, they had a good relationship still. He was out of town at the time on business, and she had uh, sent him little videos saying, I love you, Daddy, and I miss you, Daddy. Yeah, but so if you have any information, or even if you think you see her, please step forward. It's better to have a tip that goes nowhere than to completely give up hope for this family. Okay, our next case, which is a little more famous, one that several podcasts have covered, and it's kind of a famous unsolved mystery is the disappearance of Aisha Degree. And this one kind of fucked with me, just saying. This one, this one is a mind fuck. 
mainly because she's nine when all this happens. So take a second. Don't close your eyes if you're driving, please. But think about yourself at about nine years old. Well, I mean, I worked with nine-year-olds for several months for a long-term teacher sub. Nine-year-olds aren't good at planning ahead. All right, and as we get going, I just want to give a little background on the Degree family. Aisha did have an older brother, and they shared a bedroom. The Degree family was somewhat strict, um, just in the way that they didn't have a computer. They kept their kids pretty sheltered, but not in a freaky sort of way. They just wanted to make sure that they knew what media their children consumed. Basically... Mrs. Degree was quoted as saying that every time she turned on the news, there was some kid that had gotten lured away through the internet or through something, so she didn't want her kids to have any part of that, which makes the rest of the story horribly sad. And, you know, she was nine years old. Most nine-year-olds should not be super or unsupervised on the internet. But, so... Um, like we said, when her father checked on her at 2.30 a.m., she was in her bed and she was asleep. Like I said, she shared a room with her older brother and he said that he heard noises really early in the morning and he assumed that his sister was just tossing and turning in her sleep like she was prone to do. Her mother got up at about 6.30 a.m. to wake up her kids for school because they had not taken a bath or shower the night before, so they needed a little extra time. And she found that her daughter was not in bed. And she thought that maybe she went to her, um... Her grandmother's house. Her grandmother and aunt. Her father's mother. That was my thing. I couldn't figure out if it was her maternal grandmother or paternal, but either way, um... She thought that maybe she went there. She lived right across the street, but she wasn't there. And so that's when she started to panic. She also called her mother, Mrs. Degree called her mother, to make sure that maybe Aisha had planned a surprise or something. You know, when she found out that her daughter wasn't with her mother, she freaked out. Aisha's grandmother was the one who called 911 because her mom was just absolutely useless because she was so panicked and her father obviously he had only gone to bed a couple hours before was probably waking up to a freaking out wife and not really sure what was going on yeah and so in this instance the family did everything right as soon as they realized the child was missing they didn't do that casey anthony thing where you wait a month and then call the police as soon as they figured out that Aisha was gone. They called the police and they started They called the police at about 6.35, so about 10 minutes from the first second they realized she was missing, they did the quick check and realized she was gone. The police got to their house, excuse me, within 10 minutes as well. So these are, these stories are what the police has actually done right. It seems that Aisha had packed her backpack Before she left, she had um, brought some clothes and there is some reports that say she brought family pictures, but I don't believe her mom ever confirmed that. And later on, the FBI never confirmed that either. So they say she took a change of clothes. Another pair of her shoes was missing. Her house key was missing and the front door was locked. So 
For all intents and purposes, Aisha Degree packed, left, and locked the door behind her. Which... And it wasn't a nice night either. Um, The early morning of February 14th, 2000 was very windy and rainy around Charlotte. And there was no coats missing. Um, Aisha would have left in just her shirt sleeves. And the first part of this that makes me think of anything is, you know, people would originally think, you know, an intruder came in and people say there's absolutely no way someone could have gotten her up and out without her brother waking up in the same room. But I wonder how did Aisha get out without waking up her brother? Because I mean, he heard her tossing and turning, but nine-year-olds don't do anything quietly. Well, I mean, if you have a motivation, maybe you do. I mean, I remember trying to sneak down and make as many Pop-Tarts as I want for breakfast. But um, I think what he heard the tossing and turning, and that was the little things that she couldn't really disguise the noise of. Maybe her brother heard her, but just assumed, since it wasn't, you know, her screaming or yelling or something that nothing was wrong i mean he was half asleep she and her brother are also kind of i don't remember his exact birth date but they're pretty much irish twins they're two kids within like 11 months of each other so he's not much older than she is so i mean it's not like a 16 year old didn't notice her his sister leaving in the middle of the night well not just that but Children don't assume the worst of things. Unfortunately, as you grow older and you're exposed to more horrible things that humans do, you tend to start to assume the worst, which obviously her parents did as they contacted the police so quickly. And I'm so very glad that they did just, I mean, it obviously, it hasn't helped too much, but they did everything they could for their daughter. And hopefully that gives them a little bit of peace. So once the police put, Aisha's description out and everything three different people came forward they'd been driving in the early hours of that morning on highway 18 I believe it is yes and that's north of the town and this took place between about 3 30 and 4 15 basically highway 18 runs right through Shelby right within a couple of blocks from where her parents live but at the time she was actually traveling south on the road And she was about a mile from her parents' house by between, I believe, 3.45 and 4.15, which actually for a kid and the kind of night it was, if you consider that she would have had to leave after 2.30, she was making pretty good time. Yeah, and so what happens is um, these drivers spotted her and one of them tried to get out of the car. They saw a nine-year-old kid at... 3 30 4 a.m on her own with no coat in the wind and rain and they realized something was wrong so they tried to get out of the car to approach her and i guess that spooked her because at that point she left the highway and walked off into the woods and that was the last time she was ever seen those who knew her describe asia though as she was painfully shy she was a very shy little girl she was sheltered she was scared of the dark she was scared of big dogs she was just one of those quiet and timid little girls and later they found um because it was such a bad and this was um quite a long time later if we're going to be discussing what they oh found. sorry i'm oh this is um a few days later at first they found some of her things in a tool shed um a ways off that highway, but they found her hair bow, 
they found, I believe, a, a pencil and pen set she had had that was missing from her house. And they found some candy wrappers, like she had stopped and had something to eat. And that was the last trace they found of her for about 18 months. Yes, and so real quick, I'm going to give the description of when she disappeared before we talk about this next part, because that's when we start to get into speculation and theories. So when she disappeared, Aisha Degree was nine years old. She was African-American, about four foot six inches and 60 pounds, brown eyes. She had pierced ears and a chicken pox scar in the middle of her forehead. And so this next part, um, about a year later, um, and 26 miles from her house, a contractor was digging a hole for construction and they found her book bag. And this wasn't just like she threw her backpack somewhere. This was double wrapped in plastic trash bags. It was somebody trying to dispose of evidence. And this was 26 miles north on Highway 18, so it was in the opposite direction from where she was traveling. And um, additionally, they found some animal bones and some men's khaki pants. And this bag was sent to a federal lab for testing, but um, the results were never really released to the public. And it kind of got pushed under the rug. This was found in August 2001 and september 11th 2001 obviously crime labs were just flooded with evidence and bones that needed to be identified and dna tests that needed done so unfortunately asia got pushed aside in the face of a large-scale tragedy versus a family tragedy so there's really a couple of I guess three things we can say what happened to Asia fell into one of three categories. Uh, one, she ran away. Two, somebody lured her away. Or three, parents had something to do with it. Okay, so theory one, that she ran away. I just, I don't see it. She seemed like a happy child and she was... Like we said, an extremely shy child. She wasn't outgoing. I don't see how this child could possibly think that she could make it in the world. You know, if you're running away, most kids are trying to go on a big adventure. And that just wasn't her. You wait for good weather for your adventure. I mean, I was nine. They say one of the things is the reasons this is given as evidence is she was reading a book in school called The Whipping Boy where a prince and another little boy run away and have a grand adventure. But, I mean, there's still, you can differentiate at that age vaguely between fiction and reality. I mean, as much as I wanted to go to Hogwarts when I was nine years old, I knew it wasn't happening. I mean, when I was nine or ten, I read My Side of the Mountain, and I wanted to go and live in the wilderness. Did I ever? No, because I like air conditioning. And flush toilets. Amen. But yes, it's, I mean, some people also say Asia played basketball and she had recently lost her first game and she had fouled out, which was a big deal for a sensitive little girl. But her parents talked her down. You know, it wasn't something that was still weighing on her. 
it's one of those things that in the wake of a disappearance, everything suddenly gets significance attached to it that normally would just be meh. Yeah, well, and then um, the third theory that her parents had something to do with that, I just can't see that either. Obviously, everyone looks into the parents in a case of disappearance like this, but the fact that the police were called literally 10 minutes after she went in to wake the kids up, I just, that's a concerned mother. I don't think there's any other way to do it. I've like, seen, when, when I was on Reddit, which is usually the first thing to start a bad story, but Reddit's Unresolved Mystery subreddit was talking about Asia Degree, and some people speculate a combination of the two. Maybe she ran away because her religious parents were overbearing and she was so sheltered and I could see that out of a 15-year-old. I could see that out of a 12-year-old. I don't remember the exact person I heard the statistic from. I heard it on a podcast, but people don't get classified as runaways until they're about 12 because younger children just don't have the comprehension to do that. They can, but it is so rare, it's never assumed. Yeah, and I mean, you see things with kids all the time that i mean as an adult you look at their home situation and you could think like oh my god that would drive me up the wall when you have someone that is super religious or you know a mom or dad that's super into health food and you think that life would be unbearable for that child but that's all that they've ever known and i'm not saying that that's how life was for asia i really don't believe it was but just trying to put that thought to rest i honestly in I don't think the parents had anything to do with it. I don't think they did. And I think that saying that she wanted to escape a controlling home life, is it's just aspiring teenage dreams onto a nine-year-old. Not just that, but I mean, there's no proof of it. And I can't even imagine how hurtful that would be to a grieving family to hear that. Oh, yeah. And I mean, the thing is... Even if Aisha was old enough to run away, she was scared of the dark. It was raining. Who, I mean, okay. It was winter. Yeah. Everybody's played Oregon Trail. You know you got to pick your time to leave if you're going to get success. But then there's the third theory, or the second theory. Sorry, we skipped around. I don't do numbers. Which I guess is twofold. Either somebody came in and took her, which we can say probably not. I mean... There's heavy sleepers, and then there's kidnap your sister from under your nose sleepers. Well, not just that, but there was no sign of entry. The door was locked. Okay? So the person who came in would have had to lock the door behind them. And she packed a bag. So when you kidnap a child, you don't generally pack some clothes for their comfort. Nope. So people are thinking that someone, I guess the term would be groomed, someone groomed this child and someone lured this child out of the house. And this would go back with um, Tika Lewis. Maybe this person promised something that Aisha wanted. I mean, children can have a very one-track mind. And to me, I... This goes with the runaway theory. I don't think there's any way she could do that because her book bag was found wrapped in two layers of plastic. 
that is someone trying to dispose of evidence. If maybe a 16-year-old ran away and was trying to get rid of her backpack, I could see them trying to do that to try not to trace them. But Aisha didn't watch TV. This was 2000. CSI wasn't really a thing on television. How would she know to do that? There's also a subset of theory number one that says, oh, she just ran away and happened to meet the one serial killer pedophile murdering chainsaw maniac that was traveling down that road at that point. And while I'll accept that in some other cases of that having that bad of luck, I don't accept that in this one. It's just too many things. But I think they think someone might have been able to groom or lure her with the idea of uh, it's rumored she packed her basketball uniform. Maybe they said, hey, you fouled out. You know, why don't you come with me and I'll teach you how to, you know, we'll go to camp for a week. It was her parents' wedding anniversary. Maybe they played up the idea of, oh, let's do something special for your parents. There's there's a lot of things. Kids are simple. Yeah, and that's not to be rude, but children work on a very, um, I mean, cause and effect level. If you offer a child a reward, they're going to want to work for it. Oh, this and works for years. They... I just got a 14-year-old to help clean out my apartment by offering Steam cards. It was great. But um, to me, it just somebody convinced her to leave home and then either lured her somewhere else and unfortunately hurt her or kind of lured her and started a new life where nobody knows who she is. I've I mean, people are like, well, maybe you could get her away if there was something bad in her life, but. I don't think there was anything, there's no evidence of anything that could be bad enough to get her out of the house on that night or to make it easier. So it had to be a very playing on something she wanted or playing on something like the basketball game that she was embarrassed of. But unfortunately, in my deepest suspicion in my heart, I don't think Aisha's still alive. I don't think she made it very long. I agree with that assessment. I just, I hope beyond hope that she is and to the family that hasn't given up hope. I mean, I understand that 100%, but realistically, I'm not thinking she had much of a chance. And um, going with the luring someone, even if you tell your kids not to, I mean, parents always tell their kids not to take candy from strangers. If you walk up to a kid and hand him a piece of candy... 80% of the time, they're going to take it. It didn't like, even kids have to be a stranger. People have said, you know, think of all the different scandals we've seen where somebody who should be close to a kid is the one abusing them. A priest, a coach, a teacher, an aide. Stranger abductions are very rare. And I don't have enough information on the people around her. And like I said, this case really got pushed under the rug because unfortunately, a world tragedy took place when they were investigating but um so there's not tons of information out there but it would make sense to me if it was someone who knew her at least as an acquaintance who lured her away and took her somebody who wouldn't have been a stranger they would have been the guy at church the man who sells me ice cream something like that i don't know i've 
looking at the cases, like I have a feeling that Tika could still be alive because I could see somebody saying, you know, I want that girl for me. Aisha, I don't think so because Aisha's old enough to remember her parents. She wouldn't, she wouldn't adapt to a new life like that. Um, real quick, I'm pulling up. If you have any information concerning Aisha Degree, and once again, we're going to be posting the age progression on our Facebook. Um, you can call the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office, and that is 704-484-4822. Aisha's parents actually still keep her memory alive. Um, they erected a billboard with her picture on it at the spot where she was seen disappearing into the woods when the motorist stopped for her. And every day they had, or every, every day, every year, her mother organizes and has a walk from their house, which they still live in, the same house. And they walk to the spot she disappeared into the woods as, in her memory and to raise awareness. And they originally did that on Valentine's Day each year, um, and just because that's the day that she disappeared. But recently they have moved the day, and I can't remember if they moved it to the day before or the day after, but Aisha's mother said, we want our child to be remembered, but we don't want to spoil the holiday for everybody else, so we can move it one day, and she will still be remembered. That has to be so hard. It's her, their wedding anniversary. That's the day her daughter disappeared. I couldn't do it. I I could not be this strong as this woman is. Anyway, before we move on, I need to say a quick thank you to Robin Warder of the Trail Went Cold podcast, who graciously allowed me to use some of his research from his podcast for this segment. Thanks, Robin. Okay, we're going to go to a little more recent case, um, the case of Relisha Rudd, which I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Sorry, I didn't find a pronunciation guide. I am using um, the Washington Post has actually done quite a bit on this story, so I'm I'm working off some of their information. So if you are more interested in this case, take a look at some, some good journalism. Um, so the timeline of her disappearance, well... First, Relisha Rudd was living with her mother at a homeless shelter, which was in an old hospital in Washington, D.C., and she disappeared when she was eight, going on nine, and she was last seen spending time with the shelter's janitor, Khalil Tatum? Tantum? Yeah, uh, I was going to go with Tatum. I'm not positive on that. And they were actually seen on the surveillance video of a Holiday Inn. They were walking down the hallway, and they walked into a room. And people have said that maybe her mother gave the janitor permission to take her or something like that. And she says that was not the case. I'm going to give another trigger warning. There's a couple, it's not graphic, but there's a couple mentions of neglect and abuse in this story, so it's going to get worse, guys. Relisha's story starts in July of 2007, which she would have been a toddler at the time. I can't do math in my head. But social workers visit her house. They conclude that she may have been physically abused, and there's not enough food for her and her newborn brother. They come back three years later in April of 2010 and find evidence of medical neglect, a filthy home, children left unsupervised. There was a failure to follow up on a surgery for one of her brothers. 
November 2013, children were left unsupervised. Uh, One of the children had been thrown to the ground and slapped, which caused a split lip. Um, This occurred while the family was living at the homeless shelter, which I don't know why shelter personnel could not interfere, but... Sometimes different shelters have different rules, but I would agree that you think in a case like this, they would at least be calling DCFS. They might have, well, because I mean, they might have known there's a DCFS case, but think about a city like DC, which actually has a very large homeless population and a lot of people. It might be one of those underfunded cases that goes through the cracks, and that's sad, but we need to fund DCFS, guys. Please. Um, then February 26th, 2014, is that video that I told you, um, the security footage where they see Kalia Malik Tatum, the janitor at the homeless shelter, is seen with Relisha walking towards a room in a Holiday Inn Express, and that is in Northeast D.C., I believe. And so the police believed that Relisha's mother, Shamika Young, handed her daughter over to Tatum. But her mom says that's not what happened. Um, There's been a lot of people who believe Shamika has been misrepresented and other people believe that she is lying. Either way, her story doesn't always match up with the official police report. And she's done interviews and she's been asked how the past three years since her daughter has disappeared has been for her. And her response was, these three years have been capital H-E-double-L. And hard. It's been like, I can't even describe it. It's like, you want to think it's a dream, but it's not a dream. So while there is instances of abuse and neglect in the story, I just wanted to make sure that we do show the other side of this. That there might be more to it than meets the eye, maybe, possibly, but who knows for sure. I'm watching this surveillance video and as much as like the idea of this 51 year old guy with her gives me a creepy feeling nothing seems off to me like he's not like touching her too much or anything he just looks almost like a guy and his daughter which almost skeeve it almost skeeves me out worse than it would be if it was bad He's not, like, dragging her down the hallway or anything. It looks like they're looking for their room. They walk to one end of the hallway. He points to her, and then they turn around, and she's carrying, it looks like, a plastic grocery bag. Like, they went out to get snacks or something. I don't know. I would, if something, I wish I could hope that he took her to somewhere for a better life, but it's about to get worse, guys. On March 1st, 2014 is the last day Relisha is seen in Tatum's company, and it is the last day Relisha has been seen alive. Okay. On March 13th, 2014, a counselor at Payne Elementary School writes a referral to the D.C. Child and Family Services, noting that Relisha's been absent for school a lot. She's missed more than 30 days, but officials say many were excused by her mother, citing an illness, and she had it signed off by Dr. Tatum, which is, in case you've missed that, the janitor. And so, for those of you who have worked in schools, have been out of school for a while, 30 days 
is a lot. You're missing a huge hunk of the curriculum and keep your kids in school, guys. Basically, I believe at schools I've worked for, I've heard some have stricter rules, but you start to run the risk of intervention if you miss 18 or more days, 10% of the school year. So she's a lot over that. But because a lot of them were excused, I don't think, I mean, this is probably an inner city underfunded school. Let's, let's be really honest here. And having a note from a doctor does change the game a little. It's not just, oh, she was tired and she slept in, like some parents say. But having a doctor's note makes it a legitimate medical thing. Having a note from the janitor at the homeless shelter you're staying at, claiming to be a doctor, does not make it legitimate. Uh, the referral says that a school official called, concerned regarding educational neglect, and it was stated that her mother was not able to account for her location. And this gets to where it's a little bit of the blame game. Um, her mother, Shamika, says that for a while, Relisha was in her grandmother, Shamika's mother's care, while her grandmother says when she disappeared, she had been given back to her mother. So it's kind of a little hot potato here. So then DC police on March 19th launched the missing persons investigation. And so this is um, 18 days, I believe, since she was last seen alive. So we had in the Asia Degree case, 10 minutes and a missing persons report was underway. 18 days. And let that sink in a little. Some people I'm sure are, I mean, obviously her mother is slightly at fault here, but also people want to blame the school, but the school can't always, they're mandated reporters, but they're not magicians, so. All you have to do as a mandated reporter is contact DCFS, and that's all you're legally allowed to do as a mandated reporter myself that's that's all you can do once you contact them it's in their field and you've done your part you have to hope that they do theirs we've both had to go through the mandated reporter training and there are times when you see kids that you want to help but it doesn't hit the threshold and you know that even dcfs can't do anything on march 19th the investigation starts. The social worker from the school calls Tatum, who arranges a meeting at the shelter, and he doesn't show up. Big red flag. They find out that he is not a doctor, but a janitor. Huge red flag, with, like, some flashing lights there. He had left his shift early that day to avoid this meeting, so the lights are now blinking in time to the music. And um, Relisha's mother was not able to account for her daughter's whereabouts. And at this point, they do a little blame game. She says she was with her grandmother. The grandmother says no, the kid was with their mom. And they kind of go back and forth. Um, at 9.39 p.m., an officer calls Tatum's cell phone, but it goes straight to voicemail and it's never activated again. Tatum, meanwhile, at 10.04 p.m., checks into room 132 of the Red Roof Inn in Oxon Hill, Maryland, and he's seen with four people. None of them are a little girl. 
And less than an hour later, three people leave and Tatum stays. So the next morning, one person returns to the motel about 5.40 a.m. and sees Andrea Tatum, who's Tatum's wife, uh, lying on the bed. He wasn't allowed to go in the room, though. This same person, who I don't think is ever identified, tells the police that last month he had helped Tatum look online for a handgun, which that red flags wave it again. At 8.01 a.m., the Prince George County Police received a request from the D.C. police to help in the case. They learned that Tatum was probably driving a maroon 2007 Chevrolet Trailblazer with the Washington Redskins album emblem on the back window. Basically, this is like in every Amber Alert you get on your cell phone. It's easier to identify a car than a person, so it's... That's why you hear that. And they say they find this vehicle outside room 132 of the Red Roof Inn. Red Roof Inns are kind of a motel, so you enter from the outside. There's no lobby. They went inside room 132 that he had checked into, and they found his wife, Andrea Tatum, shot in the head. So the police put out an alert for another vehicle, a white GMC truck, but that was found abandoned in Hyattsville, which we looked up and is approximately half an hour drive from this motel. So Tatum is charged and a warrant is put out for his arrest. So on March 22nd, friends and relatives of Relisha hold a candlelight vigil for the missing girl at that homeless shelter where she lived. There's pictures. They all have signs with her picture on them and it's just a heartbreaking image. And part of that, I know, is for a feeling of community and their mutual grief and anxiety. But also, having these pictures, I'm sure, was a great way to get her face out there. Again, I've said this about every girl in this podcast. She's so cute. It's almost like children are generally cute. Okay, so the FBI and the police, a couple days later, released some photos of Relisha to try and identify her and another one of Tatum which he looks like a real winner. And then a day later, they released the video of them at the Holiday Inn that we had talked about. Um, They ended up posting a $25,000 reward for the return of Relisha, and then the Prince George County's police post a separate $25,000 reward for information leading to Tatum's arrest. On March 26th, the next day, uh, district officials have to release a statement. They were saying they were duped into thinking that Relisha's absences were excused. They were, you know, excused by Dr. Tatum. And they defend their handling of the case. I'm going to quote Toy Story here. I don't think that man's ever been to medical school. But like we said earlier, they defend their handling of the case, saying that they notify the child welfare officials in accordance with the law. And I'll... Say again, I mean... And that's all a school can do. On March 27th, the D.C. police chief says that the police can't ignore that Relisha Rudd is probably dead. Um, their suspect is Tatum. Police also start searching a park in Washington and other areas to find the girl, and now they're looking for her body. The next day, the police also come out and say that Tatum has had contact with several other young girls at the shelter, even though having contact like that is strictly prohibited. There is a very strict relationship between the workers 
and the residents of the shelter, or at least there should be. I mean, starting, like, reading this timeline and going through the story like you are, it's like you first think, oh, you know, that little girl probably didn't have a father figure. Look, there's a janitor that took her under his wing. Oh my god, what did he do? Yeah, and then... On March 31st, the police chief once again comes out and says that investigators believe that a man that was found dead in D.C. is Kelly Tatum, the janitor that was suspected of abducting Relisha Rudd. And then on April 1st, the next day, the body is positively ID'd as Kelly Tatum, and he took his own life as he also took his wife's life. You know, this podcast sometimes makes it really hard to not speak ill of the dead. On April 3rd, their search of the park ends. They had searched for about a week in this park, and they found absolutely nothing. On April 4th, the police um, released another video, and it's not working on my computer, so I don't know if it's YouTube or what. I think it was taken down. For some reason. Probably. Well... They see a video of a man getting off an escalator, and they say they want to question him about really Sherrod and Khalil. Gosh, I just Tatum. That's his last name. And I'm not. They didn't really say why. And since we can't view the video, we don't know if there's anything suspicious looking. But they asked for somebody to ID this man. On April 6th, more information comes out from some relatives from Relisha's family. They say that she wanted out of this homeless shelter so bad she would fake asthma attacks to stay at their homes. Adults say she always had dirty hair, filthy clothes, and an empty stomach, and she didn't want to leave. Why didn't somebody take this girl in? Well, if her mom doesn't let them, there's nothing they can do. Which is so sad. I mean, if I was a parent living in a homeless shelter and I had somewhere for my kid to go, where I know they were going to be safe and loved, and I mean, you could still visit your child, why wouldn't you let them? On April 19th, more than two dozen searchers went across four different locations in Northeast and Southeast Washington, and they had flyers with images of Relisha, And they were passing these out, trying to raise awareness and find this missing girl. On May 4th, 2014, some bones were found. Now, these volunteers, of course, immediately assumed the worst. And they assumed that these are the bones of Relisha. But it turns out they were just animal bones. Which, while it's awesome that they didn't find her bones, also... If she is dead, it would be good to find her remains to give the family some closure. But having them just be animal bones gives hope that maybe she is still alive. On December 10th of 2015, uh, the police started with 60 police officers, cadets, federal agents looking through a construction site in northeast Washington. So they thought, you know, it's already kind of deserted. Maybe she was buried there. So they started it up again after, you know, seven months off. Yes. And then, once again, on April 6th, 2016, the police launch a new search. And they say that this is going to involve divers. Um, And that's 
all the information we have. So just going over. This article is from, of course, there's not a date on it. I think it's from 2016. So that would have been right there. But everything I looked, that was about the last time. So while we have a full timeline and most of that's just the police releasing new information, our timeline of actual events that took place, we can't even pinpoint when she was taken from her family because they can't agree with each other who was watching her. And it seems like maybe her mom gave her permission to go with Tatum, but maybe not. So many people failed this little girl. Well, I mean, I don't believe that the police or the school failed the little girl. They tried and did everything they could. Did her family and DCFS fail her? Yeah, that's 100%. I mean, just so many people. There were people that knew she was suffering and didn't do anything. And there were people who saw she was suffering and their hands were tied. And it's just, I mean, even if it's not your fault that you couldn't help somebody i'm sure you still they still feel horrible so with relisha we do have a phone number um and i don't know if they have an age progressed picture of her because it wasn't more than three years ago that no, it's a little more than three years ago that she was missing. She's now 11 years I old. I did not find... The other girls actually posted age-progressed pictures earlier today. It's Monday when we're recording this. But, Relisha, I could not find one. So, if you... Oh, there is an age-progressed photo I found on the Missing and Exploited Children's website. So, if you have any information on Relisha... Please contact the Washington Metropolis Police Department, District of Columbia, and that is 1-202-265-9100. This little girl, on this one, I, it's a weird case. It, I can't really decide if I think she's still alive or not. I don't think she is. I don't think she's alive. I mean, she's, I'd say maybe, you know. She got away from Tatum and started, but she's so young. Well, I, once again, I feel that this is, this child was easily lured away from her family. She wanted out so bad. She wanted to have the life that she saw the other kids at school living. Don't think she's still alive. Gosh. Way to be a downer. I guess we could say maybe Relisha was alive. Maybe she got sold into human trafficking. Maybe she got, you know, put into prostitution in D.C. Nothing. She could still be alive, but I don't think there's any good option here. There's there's not a happily ever after for Relisha. But... Once again, if you have any information, please don't hesitate to call. If she is still alive, maybe there can't be. I would love nothing more than somebody to prove me wrong right now. Oh, boy. So, one more, guys. I promise we're almost at the end. Some people will remember this if you are on social media with uh, friends who are aware of social issues. Around the inauguration this year, um, there started being stories around that and the Women's March about missing girls in Washington, D.C. They were all girls of color, black, Latina. 
Um, there were some young teenage boys on the list as well, but it was mainly these young women of color, teenagers, and they would say, you know, where's the outcry? Why aren't you saying that these dozen girls are gone? And I remember seeing this and I was going, oh my God, what the fuck? Why aren't we saying anything? Like, it was... A lot of my... A lot of my friends were posting ones about, you know, oh, you guys are, people talk about the Women's March, but who is talking about this? And I just started grad school at the time, so I didn't have time to fact check. And I have a pet peeve about people that post missing persons on Facebook and don't fact check because I've seen people post kids that were found in 2014 and it kind of annoys me. But it, it was when I went back to fact check, things weren't adding up. So I will be also posting the Time article that I found here, which which really helps. But um, people were holding meetings, talking about the problem. And it turns out, while the problem wasn't as acute as they were making it sound, if that's the right word, like it didn't suddenly snap, escalate. It's not like there was somebody going around D.C. around the time of the inauguration stealing young black girls off the street. It's not like they're not H.H. Holmesing this. This is not Criminal Minds. Okay. Still looking for Spencer Reed, though. Anyway, so it's the there's actually a foundation called the Black and Missing Foundation, which is going with this news coverage. And they were saying that. You know, there isn't this sudden uptick, but there is usually up to, you know, 12 to 14 missing children of color in D.C. at any given time. And actually, they're lower than normal, but why don't we ever see them? And we discussed part of this earlier with the media, um... We relate to stories and people that look like ourselves. And if you look at any major news industry, the majority of individuals on that news uh, broadcast are going to be white. And part of that is the racial makeup of our country. And part of it is certain hiring practices and things like that. But what it comes down to is they get more media coverage. And it's not like... I mean, at least for the most part, I'm sure there are instances where people cover things up because humanity can be scum at times. But for the most part, it's not that people are trying to push these missing people under the rug, but they don't have that advantage of being the ones that people relate to and the ones that get on the morning news. People are actually saying that as much as I just spouted off all of the problems with missing children posts on Facebook, they're great. Just please fact check. But the thing is, people are saying that now they don't have to wait for the media to cover these kids. They can, you know, put them out them themselves. But be smart about it. But they are saying, you know, there's a study out there that people perceive um, black F or Latino children as older than white children, even if they're the same age. So, well, you know, a missing runaway 15-year-old white girl might be, oh, she was misguided. She was misled by her boyfriend. A black girl of the same age would be, oh, she knew what she was doing. She ran away. She decided to, you know, go out on her own. That, that kind of thing. And this like, might just... one of these girls 
her mother even told police that, you know, it's not like somebody took her. She, she hated how cramped our house was. I think she went out and got a job and it's on her own. Another girl was 18, but she'd been in contact with the social worker that, you know, I think she'd aged out of foster care and she'd been in contact with her social worker, but nobody ever checks the facts. They just post. So what we're saying is, while there is obviously an issue with missing individuals, and specifically missing individuals of color who don't make it into the news, it's not like all of a sudden we have a big peak. While it's a horrible thing, it has been happening for some time, and we need to take a look at how we can make sure these people get the same media coverage as everybody else. It's... It is a very big problem, and that's why I wanted to do this case and talk about this, because it just kind of, people were trying to bring it to attention, and then it faded, and nobody ever found the resolution. However, it is it is good to think of it as a problem, but I, it's sharing, like, when stories like this get blown out of proportion, it doesn't help anyone. No, but what is awesome about modern media is a you can google and find three different articles you can fact check yourself and b social media for as many missing person pictures as you see on facebook that aren't real you do see real people too people who are actually missing and just the fact that those people's faces are out there I mean, we used to have to canvas the streets and hand out flyers and things like that in order to get people to see the faces of these missing kids. And now, click, and it can go to all 300 of your friends. Okay, so I've got some statistics here. Um, I'm going to cite my sources. But um, this is from the, the Black and Missing Foundation are coming in with some statistics they've found to report. Um, the FBI... There's more than 400,000 juveniles recorded as missing by the FBI in 2016. 38% of those were black. Can you guess, Rebecca, how many, um, what percentage African Americans make up of the U.S. population? Probably because I might have just read an article. I believe it was 13%. It was. I love it when she reads the articles I put in the drive. But yes, also an analysis by Essence Magazine found that in... As of February 2017, there were over 8,000 active missing persons cases for black girls under 18. So what we're saying is there's a disproportionate number of missing African-Americans versus the African-American population in the United States. And the mayor of D.C. is actually because of these, even though it turned out that there was no, you know, serial killer kidnapping girls... He said, why don't we try and solve this? Because now people are aware of it. Let's fix it. So he came up with a bunch of new programs trying to um, improve the response of the district's police to missing children. There's a task force to help locate um, missing youth and also to try to think about the reasons that these kids might run away in the first place. Because, you know, if they can fix the problem, maybe there won't be a kid that runs away. And so this is another instance of someone doing a good job. I mean, it took huge coverage on social media for this person to realize, but I'm sure being the mayor of a big city, you have lots of things on your plate and it takes something to bring it to your attention. Especially a city like DC. It's not like they've got like 8 million security risks or anything. Yeah, but so this person is trying to get to the root of the problem and the mayor is trying to create social programs and find causes 
and really do everything that they're able to do. So a lot of these cases, it seems they're doing everything right, which while is awesome that, I mean, you hear so much about when everything goes wrong, it's great to hear when they do things right, but it's also disheartening when they're still missing and everything was done right. And I've seen there there are people who still will criticize for, you know, too little, too late and everything. But, I mean, as much as it sounds horrible for a white woman to say this, realize when we're making progress, it may not always be as fast, it may not always be as good, but we've brought awareness to the issue. Let us be the change we want to see. Yeah, so people, like, this should have been done before, yes, but it's better than waiting another 50 years. So if we can attack the root of the problem now, we're hopefully not going to have any more uh, Asia degrees or Tika Lewis's or Relisha Rudd's. If we can hopefully create, and not just citywide, but nationwide, better responses and better social programs for these children, hopefully we'll be able to prevent it instead of having to respond so if there's something in the world like this that bothers you please help it doesn't take a lot of time it doesn't take a lot of money write to your congressman and ask for more funding for dcfs give your time to the local homeless shelter send some money to the center for missing and exploited children or the black and missing foundation if you are looking at these certain cases and like me going, holy shit, how did I not know about this? It's, it's sad, but, and I don't remember who said it, but someone says, be the change you want to see in the world. I believe that was Mohandas Gandhi. Could have been. Anyway, so once again, I'm going to ask you guys, please, 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 if you have any information whatsoever, please contact the 24-hour hotline for missing and exploited children. That is 1-800-THE-LOST. For those of you like me who cannot read the buttons on the telephone, 1-800-843-5678. If we can bring these kids home, let's do it. Even if all we can bring home is knowing what happened to them, that would be so much better. Anyway, let's veer off for a moment onto a more positive note. We have had so much doom and gloom. We've told you our piece. We've talked about it. If you can help, do it. We're going to talk a little bit about next week's episode. Okay, so next week we will not be in Central Illinois recording like we normally are. We're going to have to do it ahead of time because we're going to Disney World. What, what? Okay, we're not just going to Disney World. Our great-grandmother is turning 101, so we're going down to the Orlando area to celebrate with her. Anyway, if you are like me and spent too much time on the internet, you may have noticed Florida Man. Florida Man is a scary, scary individual. He's responsible for everything. For those of you who don't spend too much time on the internet, have you ever noticed, and this is a probably not, but now that I say it, you will notice, that whenever something really funky turns up in the news, a lot of times the headline starts with Florida Man. So, in celebration of going to the lovely, humid state of Florida, we're going to do 
the best of Florida man. So really what we're going to be bringing you next week to make up for this, gosh, I don't even know how long this is running, um, 45 minutes of doom and gloom and sad, we're going to bring you something funky and funny and just a little bit crazy. So you have that to look forward to. But anyway, if you want to reach out to us, if you know, have, I guess if you know anything, call that hotline. If you have a theory that we didn't discuss, email us yoursinmurderpod at gmail.com. Or put it on our Facebook page so our other fans can discuss too. Until next time, we are Yours in Murder. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.